too tall, could have used a few pounds. Tight pants, points, hollering down. She was a black-haired beauty with big dark eyes. And points all her own, sudden way up high. Way up firm and high. Out past the cornfields where the woods got heavy. Out in the back seat of my 60 Chevy. Working on mysteries without any clues. Working on a night moves. Trying to make some fun Alrighty. Here we go with another episode of Silver and Gold. Silver and Gold, Silver and Gold, a big gold bowl of silver and gold. Alright, everybody, here I am again this week with the silver and der gold. Um, just wanted to give a couple of shout outs to uh, Mary uh, and Chief. Who are outside right now, and um, it's a little bit warmer out. It's about 20, oh, mid to high 20s. It's still cold, but it's not like super cold, so they can stretch the legs and pee and poop and hang out outside and get some sunshine, uh, which they won't be able to do for very much longer because, from what I understand, we are going to get a lot of rain and some more snow. Uh, very depressing. It's uh, hard to um, uh, pimpin' ain't easy, and neither is living through this winter. But you know what? It just proves that global warming is a hoax. That all the scientists got together in the world uh, in a conspiracy so that they can make tons of money. And it's cold out. It's snowing everywhere. And so, hey, scientists, who the fuck do you think you are? Meh. Um. You're not God. So anyway, um, not a lot going on. This may be a short show. I'll say that right now. But two hours from now, when I'm wrapping it up, you know, it may seem longer. I read a comic book. I read another. I read an all-new Captain America number four. Okay, now what this is is this is um, the Falcon uh, is now Cap. Because old Cap uh, lost his super soldier formula that was keeping him young and spry with a big old heart on. And so now Steve Rogers is a wrinkled, shriveled up old man. And so Falcon, he said, hey man, look me. You've been my sidekick for years. And uh, even though you don't have superpowers other than like mechanical wings. Um, and I think he's got some kind of shit where like he can uh, see what birds see because he had that falcon there for a long time. I remember I, I was looking up now every ever since I remember Falcon, he had a red and white uniform with the red wings, a little bit of white accentuating his s- small uh, waistline and muscular pecs. But um, apparently before that, he had some kind of green and brown and yellow or something. And that just classed. It was, it was horrible. So anyway, now he is Cap. And he has the wings still. But he also has the shield that Cap had, which is made of, what is it, vibranium? 
Um, you know, or is that adamantium? I think it's vibranium. I can't remember. But anyway, cap, the new cap is, uh, the old cap wasn't even in this one. But the new cap, uh, Falcon, is in it, and, uh, it also had, um, oh my god, Lady Hydra, Baron Zemo, the Armadillo, King Cobra, and, um, What's her name? The bionic arm uh, woman, Misty, who used to go out with uh, Danny Rand, a.k.a. Iron Fist. Is that Misty Pride? I can't remember what the hell her name is. I feel like I'm getting confused with either a porn star or somebody I work with. Gal. But I like this guy that's drawing this. Uh, he makes her look really hot. She's got, uh, you know, she's got the big afro and everything, but she looks really hot. Um, he is a Stuart... Imanan. So, I mean, he does a good job. I like it. I dig it. Dig it. And I just renewed it. I was down to two issues, and I thought, you know what? I've been following this cap for a while, and I'm going to continue, because I like the new Falcon, or the new cap, Old Falcon, a.k.a. Sam Wilson. Um, I'm struggling for everybody's names. I couldn't even think of Sam's last name, but I got it, and you wouldn't even have known that, but I pulled it out at the with you know, uh, it was all right. And I, 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 I turned myself in. I confessed. I confess. Uh, not much going on. Um, uh, just lots of drama in uh, and around um, life. Um, so we're just, uh, just kind of chugging on on, uh, you know, just a couple cylinders with some black smoke coming out the tailpipe. Uh, at the old silver and gold, I am um, kicking it into reserves, uh, and I'm giving it all I got. I'm trying to keep it entertaining. Uh, oh, I ate when I came out this morning, <laughs> and uh, what I have, I had something on bread. Oh, an egg sandwich. <laughs> Fuck, I couldn't remember. I swear to God, I think that there's something wrong with my noggin. Maybe it's too much brain trauma from the pile drivers and the brain claw of the Baron von Raschka clamping down on the temples. And uh, when there, there was a bounty on my head, um, Nature Boy Ric Flair put on my head. And um, like guys like Mass Superstar and Baron von Raschka uh, with the Iron Claw. Uh, and all those guys, they're all, they all came after me, but I resisted. And they didn't collect the bounty, but they did tear up some of my underwear. Um, anyway, enough gibberish. Uh, I did have an egg sandwich. Uh, my friend Gina, uh, stands by having an egg, one egg sandwich a day. So I made an egg sandwich and I put a little ketchup on it. Uh, you know, so, but it was still good. The only thing that's bad about the egg sandwiches, I, I like, um, oh, I like it. I like, um, the yolk to be a little bit, uh, soppy. And that's good when it's on the, on der plate, because you can sop it up with the bread. But when you have it in between two pieces of toasted bread and that shit starts coming out, like the, the yolk, and it gives you the egg bukkake. Uh, on in my goatee. Um, then I was laying on the floor. For some reason, I could not sleep yesterday. And um, in the dark, in the basement, in the dark, I could not sleep. 
But sometimes all you have to do is like if you change your surroundings. So I came upstairs where you know there's more sunshine, and I made like a bed on the floor in the living room. I got a, uh, about five pillows plus about six pillows off the couch, and I put them down like uh, around me, and I got like in there, and I covered myself up, and um, I set the sleep timer on the TV, which I love because. I'm good to go for about 30 minutes of having something on, and then I drift off. But if it's something like longer than that, like I put some of those stern sternthology things on that are like six eight hours long, and I would dream about fucking like Howard Stern and the show, and like I was on it and everything, and I'd wake up two or three times, and I'd you know it's just stupid. So I have to find something that's about a half an hour long. And a lot of times, especially something that I've already listened to enough that I don't really follow along or it doesn't grab my attention, and then I fall asleep. Well, when I did that, Mary came over and she curled up like in a ball, uh, under like by my arm, like you know, like snuggling, spooning with my dog, and uh, but then she smelled like this uh, this egg yolk, I guess, in my goatee because, of course, after I ate, I didn't get up and go in and wash my face because I'm a bachelor and I'm a fucking slob. And she she just kept like looking at me. I was like, "What the fuck is she looking at?" Well, then she starts licking my goddamn um, my face, and I thought she was giving me kisses, but then I realized that she liked she wanted the egg sandwich too. But they got some um, later on. Um, they got some uh, sharp cheddar cheese. I had bought a block of that, and um, so I always uh, we we share we always share everything. Like if I give one of them a bone, I give them the other a bone. If I give like one of them a piece of turkey or something, give the other one a piece of turkey. We always share, and I do not let them steal from each other. Even though Mary does try and steal, she tries to steal Chief's uh, choo choos and bones. She'll like to have two of them. And then she steals bean cans and soup cans out of the trash, and she accumulates them in her kennel, which is funny sometimes because I wonder like where a sock is or whatever, and I'll go, and the last my last resort is I look in there, and the, sure enough, she'll have fucking stolen it. So she's a little thief. Um, let's see, what else is going on? Um, I had the egg sandwich. But I also had uh, red cabbage and rice. I made this big Tupperware thing with this uh, beans and rice, Mexican beans and rice. And then I put this spicy, uh, spicy, uh, it's smoked something, but it's spicy. And I put it on there, and then I put the, the, the raw sh- uh, cut up red cabbage on top of it. Oh, fuck, I could eat that. I, I have the whole Tupperware thing. I've been eating on that for about a week and uh, it's good. It's very good. And then I had two little pieces of uh, gluten-free bread, the heels of the loaf, which are about, um, I don't know. I'm holding this thing up here, my hands up here. So I'd be like the shape of like a donut, a little thin uh, heel on the bread. So I toasted them, put a little peanut butter on them, and ate those. So Because I'm, I'm not really going to eat very much else the rest of the day. I did, um, what did I have at work tonight? Or last night, or this morning, or whatever. I got really hungry at work, 
And I went, and uh, I normally never have any cash or change because if you have that and you start getting hungry, you go, you'll, I'll, I'll go to the snack machine. So anyway, I got really hungry, and I had a like a ten dollar bill in my fucking pocket, and I went and got a uh, Starbucks uh, vanilla. Uh, uh, cappuccino, the 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 cold kind. I don't know if that. I don't know if that because they're ice. It's that, it's not ice. It's just a cold, you know, whatever. Cold ice coffee, whatever, uh, in the little glass bottle, which I love, and I drank that. So other than that, um, and I did eat half of a mounds with the dark chocolate and the coconut. So that's an update on what I ate. I'm sure you all are excited about that, and uh, to know that um, I am not starving. That my dog licked my face, and that we snuggled on the floor. And um, yesterday, one of the movies that I watched, one is going to be the feature. One of the features. There's not really. A, I'm still going to do kind of like the two feature thing, but um, um, I'm going to talk about the other movies too. Uh, not super duper in depth, but I watched one of the movies while I was riding the Gazelle yesterday. So I rode that for about an hour, and the movie was about an hour and a half. So it's something to hold your attention, so you're not just looking at the watch. And uh, it's it's uh, I don't know. I like to exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, my back's kind of it's got I already did my comic book review. I had three comics that came in the mail. And um, I was struggling to read even that Captain America. It took me like three times to, to uh, uh, like either pooping or or uh, laying in the bathtub to f- to finish it because not because it wasn't any good. Uh, I just like man, my attention span was really shitty this week, and uh, it, it reflects on my movie watching too. I think <laughs> um, something just popped up that reminded me uh, this this week. Um, or let's see, what's today? Today is Arger. Today is Tuesday. Uh, I guess it was last week or you know, close to the weekend. Or I can't remember exactly what day, but uh, Leonard Nimoy passed away. Now this was a. Um, it wasn't a shock because um, I had read that he had just been uh, went into the hospital and that he was not feeling very good, and they had to take him to the hospital and everything. Well, he's eighty-three years old. And I saw that, and I was like, oh, that doesn't sound really good. And then it was only like a couple of days later that he passed away, which is sad, because I grew up watching Star Trek. Uh, I think I even said last week, my one of my, uh, uh, well, he was my best friend in like grade school. Um, he, I think he's the one that really got me into watching Star Trek. Uh, when we were in grade school, he had all the... Um, all the action figures that were out at that time and uh, any kind of like toys. He had like a, a phaser. He had Kirk's phaser, which looked more like a flip phone. And then he had the regular phasers. Um, his He had like a... I, I would say that he kind of had like a pretty shitty home life. Uh, but um, he, it was like one of those deals where... His mother, I think, got um, some kind of money. Uh, she didn't work, and she probably could have starred or been in the movie Barfly uh, because she had some problems, uh, and um, so she she didn't work. But uh, they never they always had like money and 
and uh, any kind of toys or anything like that, he would get. Uh, he had, like I said before, the first uh, uh, VHS recorder, uh, player recorder. Uh, I remember when we were in probably like sixth grade, uh, I went over to his house and he had a three fifty seven Magnum pistol. Uh, and I was like, what the, what, where'd you get that? And he just told his mom that he, he saw it like in, uh, like Dirty Harry or Magnum Force or something. And, uh, so he told her that he wanted one. And so she gave him the money and he got his uncle to buy it for him. And he's like in sixth grade, um, which was not very responsible. So you kind of maybe get the drift. Uh, when I would go over to his house, um, there were times where, they had to make a path through like the living room to the kitchen or to the bedrooms uh, because there would just be clothes and toys and junk everywhere. Um, one time we had a sleepover and uh, it was me and him and uh, I think uh, a couple other guys and um, his mom was, um, she, they didn't drive, she didn't have a car or anything. She would just walk across the uh, bridge over to the bars and you know uh, that whole spiel and um, we ordered pizza and we got the two liter bottles of pop and pizza and we were probably in 6th grade or 5th or 6th grade and uh, we were watching wrestling um, and because he had he had that VHS big giant clunky fucking VHS tape player and recorder and I remember it was funny because we were just eating pizza. it was a big thing you know when you're a little kid to have like a you know, pizza party, and we're, you know, just cussing and watching wrestling and looking at wrestling magazines and watching movies, and he always had, like, even when we were in grade school, he had, like, Playboys and stuff, uh, because, like I said, I mean, his mom, you know, uh, she was fairly irresponsible and a little bit, you know, touched in the head, I think. She had she had some really traumatic things that happened to her in her life, um, so I, I do feel bad looking back. Even then, I felt bad about it. Um, but um, he would have like Playboys when we were in grade school, and um, we were we had like a Domino's like we ordered like I think two or three Domino's pizzas and the two liter bottles of pop, and we're just having a hell of a fucking good time, you know. Uh, even with all the the fucking cat hairs and shit like that everywhere, they always had cats. They always had a dog, you know, cat mostly cats. And we're sitting there, and this fucking cat is up on the back of the fucking couch. And this fucking cat, we're we're drinking the fucking soda or pop, what depending on whatever part of the country you come from. Um, and the god, this goddamn cat, fucking jumps all four feet first, right on top of the, this fucking pizza. And my friend Craig was like, ugh. <laughs> So that was a that was good times. You know, you have these good memories. You know, maybe they're not so good, but they're you know, I guess they're they're good because when you're kids, it was almost like the fucking movie Stand by Me. You know, where you're a little boy. And um, I remember one time uh, uh, we would uh, where we lived was right on the Ohio River. So you would go across this bridge, um, and you would be in Ohio. So when we were little kids, we never. Uh, when we were really young, we never would do this but when we started getting older uh like you know uh, said sixth grade seventh grade and stuff like that we would start walking across the bridge over to marietta ohio uh because where we lived there really wasn't any, they had like a maybe like a little dairy mart um uh a couple of those but that's about it whereas over there they had like a you know stores um 
um, there's one called People's News, which was like a magazine and newspaper store where we could buy our wrestling magazines. Kung Fu, Black Belt Magazine, comic books, and all that stuff. And they had like the one section in the back where up up high, they would have like Penthouse and Hustler and all that shit. And the woman would watch it. Like she'd come back and stand like right beside of you a lot of times. So, uh, at first she didn't, but I guess they must have had people stealing shit. Because then one time I went in there and she would just stand back there and watch it. And I was like, what the fuck? And they had paperbacks and stuff like that. And then they had like a J.C. Penney's, you know, is always now in like a, in a mall. Uh, I don't even know if they're still, I guess they're still in business. But th- back then, you know, there were no malls. So, you know, it would just be like on Main Street, there'd be a J.C. Penney's and it had like an escalator. It was two floors and it had an escalator. And I just remember going and... Uh, uh, my mom would take me when I was a little boy because I had to go with her, you know. And uh, I would have to sit in the chair right outside the dressing room while my mom tried on like dresses and fucking blouses and pantsuits and shit. It was it was literally the most boring that for a little little boy. It was like the most boring thing in the world because you didn't have an iPad, you didn't have an iPod, you didn't have anything. You know, you're just sitting there, and all the women would come over and like be like, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, just like either tell you how cute you were and pinch your cheeks or something, rub your head or or fucking uh, you know say oh are you bored and you uh, yeah so that was funny but um we would go over there and just run around and then we'd ride our bikes over there and they had a store called Hearts well Hearts depend like again depending on what part of the country you live in we had stores like Hills uh, which would be like the equivalent of like a Walmart back in the day before there was ever a Walmart or anything like that. We had Hills. They had one called Rinks. They had uh, like a, one called Hex. Uh, what's that? Some other ones. Um, they just had different stores like that. Uh, later on, they had ones called like Ames and just just freestanding stores, you know. And uh, there was one called Hearts, and we'd go out there. Uh, it was it was in Marietta, but it wasn't in downtown. It was kind of off by itself, so we'd have to ride our bikes over there. And they had, like, video games when video games first came out at the front of the store. So we'd go over there and play, like, that fucking, uh, uh, God damn, I can't remember if it's called uh, Kung Fu Fighter or something like that. All I remember is is when you, t- you had two joysticks, and if you pulled them both apart, it would do a spinning back kick. And we'd play that fucker all the time. And uh, then go back in the back is where I brought my first... Uh, uh, record album that I bought by myself, which was a uh, uh, an LP of uh, I think Born, Bruce Springsteen's "Born to Run," and uh, they had like their own brand of tennis shoes called Blazers. They're, I don't even think they had Nikes or anything. They had Chuck Taylor Converse, but other than that, I don't think they really had like name brand shoes back then like that. Um, and they were probably like three dollars. A GI Joe was about I think three dollars. Um, the, like the big GI Joes that were like about twelve inches and stuff like that. Um, so anyway, that was just kind of funny. And, and then one day coming back, I remember these two these two uh, older kids from Marietta. We were walking down the sidewalk, and they came by us on our bicycles and almost ran into us. And they were like bullies. And my friends yelled, "Watch it!" You know, "Hey, watch it!" or something like that. And they were like, "What the fuck do you say, asshole?" So we went and hid in the store, this little bait shop, uh, which was tiny. And uh, we went in there and acted like there was an old man in there that that owned it. And we were in there acting like we were looking at hooks and lures and stuff. We kept looking out the door. And those two guys were standing out there by the front door. You know, we're like, oh, fuck, what are we going to do? You know, they're going to beat us up. (laughs) 
<laughs> but we were too smart for them because they were bullies, and so they were like simple-minded fucking uh, uh, Neanderthals. And um, so we stood out there, and they they kind of like just hang out outside, you know, the front door, just stand there, and then they kind of walk around. Well, the one time I told my friend, I said, "Listen." I said, when I tell it, because we were right, there was a back door to this place, a little screen black back door, and it was hot, so he had the back door open, he had the front door open, and um, so when uh, I saw them kind of like walk out of view of the front door, I said, now, and we fucking ran out the back door, and then ran, it was like uh, grass, like yards behind these buildings. So we just, I said, Look, run like hell. And we just ran. We ran as fast as we could. And we ran like we were all the way. I mean, Jesus Christ, we were fucking a long ways away. And those two doofuses were still standing up there waiting for us. So then we, when we got really super far away, we were like, hey, mother, fuck you, assholes. <laughs> and we took off and, you know, we made our great escape. We were like the, or not like the, the fucking Butch Cassidy of the Sundance Kid, like the hole in the wall gang where we're the, that uh, we were running from uh, Joe LaFours and the Super Posse. Yeah, it's fucking stupid assholes. <laughs> what the fuck, man? I mean, Jesus Christ. We're, you know, goddamn. Oh, um, so anyway, that was a story. I just thought I'd share. I get a little roll here talking about the good old days. I don't know why. Uh, <laughs> I tied it into fucking movies. I talked to Stand By Me and shit like that. Karate Fighter. Yeah, it was fucking funny. Um, so anyway, I did watch some movies this week. I did not watch a lot. Um, I can't explain why. <laughs> if I would have waited a couple more days, I'd have had some more movies. But I felt like recording this morning because I've been sleeping fairly well in the afternoon. Yesterday I did, so I wanted to kind of get it out of the way. Plus, you know, it's... um. Is it Monday? What today? What today is today? Today's Tuesday. Jesus. No, I couldn't have waited any longer because I want to stay on schedule. I wanted to bring you guys quality entertainment, stupid stories, babbling, farting, burping, like uh, weird noises and voices. You know, I bring it all. It's quality entertainment. Wow. Um, so anyway, let's get to some movies. Our era. First thing I watched was from 1979 and um, this was a John Huston uh, directed film written by uh, Flannery O'Connor now this movie is called, called Wise Blood okay now this is an odd duck of a fucking movie for for sure I like John Huston's movies quite a bit because he always kind of brings some some uh, odd uh, characters and just has an odd tone to his movies. I don't know. What's this Liam Neeson movie called Run All Night with Ed Harris? What's up with that? I don't know. Um, So anyway, I watched Wise Blood and, uh, you know, like the movie really, other than Harry Dean Stanton, now I guess Brad Dourif is a fairly well-known actor but I would say, well, it's got it's got um, uh, Harry Dean Stanton and also Ned Beatty and Bill Hickey's in it too, who was like a you know, if you've ever seen him, he's this tiny little old man. But Brad Dorf is the uh, the uh, main character in this Hazel Motes. Now I had heard of this movie a long time ago, but 
I just really because it didn't really have anybody in it that I I was uh, excited about. I put it off and put it off and put it off. And I also read the uh, description of it, and there for a while I think it might have been out of print. Now it's a Criterion. Um, and I'm trying to think what I read. Oh, I have a uh, a uh, kind of a coffee table book of John Huston's uh, movies. That's where I saw the thing for it, and I read read about it. I got a hair in my nose. It's like driving me crazy. Just me crazy. Who? Who? Like no one has. I don't think it was a hair on my nose. I think again, uh, my curse. I think it was a hair from my mustache because I have pulled so many hairs out of my nose recently that I don't even think that there's any in there to grab a hold of. So it can't be a hair on my nose. Um, but anyway, what this is about is uh, uh, Brad Dorf plays Hazel Moats and he gets out of uh, out of the army, and uh, I I I was assuming it took place around Vietnam. Well, it had to have, because he got wounded in the war. Uh, he wouldn't say where, because he was kind of ashamed of where, so that either means in the ass, uh, running away, or in the pecker and or ball sack. Um, or maybe, like, the taint, I don't know. Uh, you're laying down, and you say you're crawling away. You know, get some shrapnel in the butthole. Um, but Hazel Motes is a strange fucking guy, and they, he, he's a country, kind of a country boy, uh, but he's he's really got a bad attitude. He's kind of, well, number one, he's racist. And number two, he is, uh, he hates God. He hates all religion. Uh, he likes going to uh, this fat whore's house. And when I say that, I'm not being sexist. Like, you know, calling her a whore. She is a, a hua, a prostitute. And he likes that. Um, she's she's pr- very, uh, uh, I was going to say rotund. I guess that would be a good, war- good word. She, she, uh, she likes her job, I guess. I mean, you know, it's one of those deals where her name and phone number are on the, uh, the shithouse wall. And he just writes it down and tells the taxi cab driver to take him to this total stranger's fucking house, you know. And um, when he gets in there, there's a another guy that has has just uh, done business with her. So then, you know, I guess I guess when you can't really say sloppy seconds when you're having sex with a prostitute because you know you might be like sloppy twenty fifths or something. I don't know, but um, he it, it has a lot to, it has a lot of commentary on uh, religion and uh, evangelism and um, stuff like that, and and, and um, especially like street preachers and people like uh, well, I throw them all like con men and people like that that are on the street trying to sell you some piece of junk or saving your soul or fortune tellers and this has all that shit in it uh, and all these rubes you know this was like again before the internet before iPods before anything and i guess you just kind of went to the went to uh, carnival and saw a hermaphrodite or a, a fucking bearded woman or i threw the hermaphrodite thing in there cuz my cousin Faye, who was uh, I would say she was probably maybe ten ten years older than my mom. Uh, her is her first cousin. Um, she told me about going to see a uh, a morphodite, uh, which I think is funny. Another stand by me uh, reference because I think somebody uh, 
in that movie called one of the one of the little boys called the other one a, a morphodite, which I thought was funny. Anyway, uh, or going to see wrestling back then. So it has a lot of commentary on that. It's a good movie. It's it's a I would say it's a classic. Um, it's kind of one as one of these ones. It's kind of an uncomfortable movie, and it's rated PG. It's not because of any kind of sex or violence or anything. It's just a. It's definitely a subversive fucking movie. I, I, it's just an odd movie. I'm glad I watched it. I've seen it before. I own it. I bought it uh, the digital copy, and I wanted. I just thought I'd give it another shot. And it's still it's kind of like a. I don't know. It's not a very nice movie. <laughs> It's hard to explain how this movie makes you feel. Uh, next thing I watched, now this is a new one uh, from 2014, which won J.K. Simmons the uh, Oscar for Best Supporting Actor, uh, and it is Whiplash. Uh, now, this movie I had heard a lot about. I had not seen it, and um, I listened to J.K. Simmons on Howard Stern getting interviewed, which it was a good interview, and I'm familiar with him because I watched Law and Order, and he played a shrink on there that uh, would work with the prosecutors, and also uh, watched Oz, and he was a racist, white supremacist uh, in Oz who uh, turned Beecher into his bitch. And either I can't remember if he tattooed or he branded him with uh, a swastika on his butt cheeks. While after he, or well, not I guess I can't. I think it was after he had anally raped him, uh, and then he continued to do that kind of stuff for quite some time. So anyway, Beecher was a good cellmate, <laughs> cellmate, I guess you know. Um, now in this movie, uh, we have Miles Teller, who, from what I understand, is going to play Ben Grimm in the new Fantastic Four movie. So I don't know that much about him at all. Uh, I remember seeing his picture when I heard that, and I thought, oh god, this guy's going to play fucking Ben Grimm. Um, but I thought he was good in this movie. Um, I thought, you know, the whole movie's good. I really enjoyed it. Uh, J.K. Simmons, um, it's one of those deals, like last week I was talking about Arlie Ermey in uh, Full Metal Jacket and what a bastard he was and everything. And you, you, you almost laugh, you know, you have to laugh. And that's the way this was. He was such a piece of shit uh, in this movie. He kind of has that th- asshole football coach uh, or wrestling code, whatever, you know, asshole, scream, yell, motivate through fear, gets, he's a, he's a sadist, he gets off on, you know, treating everybody like shit, he's like a, like the soup Nazi or something, I hate fucking people like that, uh, we have a hot dog guy around here that, uh, and he, I'm sure, well, I know, he was way before the soup Nazi, and he's a fucking asshole, and I would, I went in there one time, and I was like, I'll never go in there again, you can go fuck yourself, you old piece of shit, um, but this movie's really good, uh, I like, uh, the story, I like all the drumming in it, um, it's, it's, uh, just a, it was a, pretty much what I expected, uh, but the performances are really good. I like the way it was shot. Good movie. And uh, I think J.K. Simmons, I can't remember who else was up for uh, Best Supporting, but he did a good job, and uh, I'm glad he got it, because this movie really wasn't like a um, 
uh, a big blockbuster, I don't think. I, I, I know it didn't come around here. It probably will now. Because I remember on the Stern interview, uh, when he interviewed him, the movie really had not been released in that many theaters. They were kind of hoping they had a they had a uh, a plan on how they were going to release it. And I think when it it got Oscar buzz, and uh, with him uh, being nominated too, that uh, it, it it will definitely get seen by a lot more people. It was just released on iTunes. Uh, uh, for download, so I, I got it on there. I, I it's one of these ones. I think I probably might buy uh, once it goes down a little bit in, in the price. But uh, I rented it. It was good. Uh, next thing I watched, oh, I watched the World at War. Um, now I might have talked about this a long time ago. Uh, this was a uh, a documentary series um, in 1973. Um, where they cover World War II. Uh, quite, if I remember correctly, most of it, from what I'm remembering, uh, the, the ones that I remember watching were um, uh, the European theater with the Germans. Um, now, uh, I can't remember if there's other, if they, they cover the Pacific theater or not. But anyway, um, this used to be on when I got off, uh, when I got out of school. So I was in probably... Uh, Grade school and then uh, maybe into uh, junior high a little bit, but from what I remember, I remember it mostly being grade school. And at that time, of course, you know, like I had said before, I was really into um, war movies, war TV shows like Baba Black Sheep with Robert Conrad, and uh, also uh, what's his name, uh, Elvis Presley's best friend, Red West, was in that too, and um, James Whitmore Jr. Uh, James Whitmore is a famous actor that was in a lot of really good movies. Well, James Whitmore Jr. was in Baba Black Sheep. And um, The Rat Patrol. There was a lot of old war movies. Uh, uh, Combat. Uh, you know, everybody asks you, when I say like something about The Rat Patrol, people will say, well, you know, did you watch Combat? Combat was on like Channel 9 uh, from Parkersburg, but we didn't get that channel, even though that city was one of the biggest, like the... Marietta, Ohio was the one big city close and then the other big city was Parkersburg, West Virginia that was really close and we got some Parkersburg channels but they had a different cable there or something so in the TV guide that came in the newspaper I would always see these things for combat and I was like fuck I want to watch this it looks oh my god look at those pictures it looks like oh it looks like it'd be so good but I never got to see combat and I still have not watched combat um, but um, we did most of our channels were from uh, we had uh, one from Columbus, Ohio or maybe a couple from Columbus, Ohio uh, Huntington, West Virginia Wheeling, West Virginia um, we had some Ohio channels other than that but I can't remember now My, you know, and PBS and um, but that was, that was those were the channels that we got there. And then when I would come to my grandma's house, which is where I live now in this area, they got all Pittsburgh channels. So it was just different. Um, but World at War would be on every day, and it was a documentary. But because I was so into um, like the different airplanes and ships and uh, war comics like The Unknown Soldier and Sergeant Rock. Um, um, 
Sergeant Fury and the Howling Commandos, just all that stuff. I was really into this, into all that stuff. And my nephew's it was, it's funny because he's the same way now. And now I'm a huge like peacenik and you know, fucking uh, whatever. <laughs> I still enjoy old war movies and stuff like that. Which you know I watched some this week. But World at War was really good. It it uh, covered. Um, both uh, well, I covered all the sides. Mostly the Ger- you would you'd have interviews with Germans uh, who were officers or soldiers in in the army in Germany, and then American uh, uh, soldiers and and officers and stuff like that. And even like I guess French or uh, Italian. Who know, you know? I can't. I, I only watched like a couple episodes uh, the other day. But all of these now I believe are on YouTube, so you don't have to buy the. I still kind of want to get the box set. Uh, especially if I don't know if it's in Blu-ray, but I would love to have it. But I can watch it pretty much anytime I want on YouTube. There's so much on YouTube now; it's 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 great. I don't even know why I have my Netflix, other than some of the new stuff comes out on there. But uh, I was just looking the other day. I get YouTube for free, and there's so many movies on there, uh, the older movies that I like. That you know, I'm kind of wondering why I have this Netflix. Uh, next thing I watched, I watched a movie called August Osage County from 2013. Um, the reason I watched this one again, I have watched this before, was I bought it at Walmart, and it had the uh, digital copy. And that was well, the one of the re- I liked it when I first saw it. The price went down, and it had the digital copy, so I could I can watch it on my uh, iPad. Um, still a really good movie. This one, everybody I know that watches it says, oh my God, that reminds me of my family. And I'm like, oh, Jesus. Uh, you can say something there. Um, but the performances in it are great. Um, Meryl Streep is great. She's always great. She is, I mean, she's to me is like the Daniel Day-Lewis of, of uh, our lifetime. She's Everything she's in, she's so good in. Uh, Julia Roberts was really good in this, and she wore no makeup and wasn't dolled up at all. But for some, I don't know what it is, people. I have always found Julia Roberts to be attractive. And in this, because she's like a MILF now, and she's older, and I just thought she was even hotter. She's kind of mean. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, I don't know. But uh, Chris Cooper's in this. Ewan McGregor looks like our friend Kelly in this with the beard and everything, which I pointed out. Uh, Sam Shepard's in it at the beginning, and I love Sam Shepard. Um, who else is in this? Uh, Julian Nicholson, who was on Law and Order: Criminal Intent. She um, was one of Chris Noth's Mike Logan when he went over to Criminal Intent. She was one of his partners and my friend and I called her Opie all the time because she had like a really short uh, haircut and she's got freckles but I think she's hot too uh, lots of people in this Benedict Benner, ben, Benedict Cumberbatch uh, ben, Benedict Cumberbatch is in it uh, there's lots of people everybody's good in it uh, lots of family uh, dysfunctional family shit which um, I can sort of relate to and it's got some sad stuff in it too. Anytime you know, I'm, I'm sitting there watching it, and uh, there's some funeral stuff, and it just kind of you know, you put yourself in that position, and remembering times when you've had to go to a funeral, or thinking about you know the future. Um, it's a good movie. This is a very very good movie, and I recommend it. Oh. 
Oh, the next thing I watched was another, this was another Oscar movie. And it's from 2014, and it is Birdman, or The Unexpected Virtue of Ignorance. Um, I believe that, didn't this son of a bitch win the fucking Oscar? I don't think so. Uh, (laughs) It was really good. Um, Now, this is another one listening to Howard Stern. He has really shitty taste in movies. Like, he likes dumb movies and chick flicks. Um, He loves, like, um, not Pretty in Pink. What the fuck's that thing called? Legally Blonde and movies like that. He'll watch that and talk about how good it was. And he hated this movie. He hated Birdman. He said it was pretentious. It was a piece of shit. It was horrible. It was one of the worst movies he's ever seen. Blah, 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 blah. And I even had some people at work that I know that saw it. And they were like, I turned it off after 30 minutes. It wasn't about anything. It was stupid. Blah, 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 blah. And I could not fucking disagree more. I thought this was really good. Uh, Jesus Christ, when I was watching it, I kept telling my friend Randy, was this written for Michael Keaton? Because, you know, he played Batman, and it's sort of, you know, it's the same thing. Uh, uh, this uh, actor who played Birdman, which was a superhero, uh, iconic superhero uh, movie guy, and he and uh, everybody wants him to do sequels, but he wants to do theater and blah, 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 blah. I thought this was awesome. I really enjoyed it. Um, um, Zach Galifianakis was in it, and it was almost... I I even said to my friend Randy, I said, is that Zach Galifianakis? And it wasn't because he didn't look like Zach Galifianakis. He didn't act that, he didn't play that role, that that gimmick or that uh, character that Zach Galifianakis seems like he's always playing. Ed Norton was really good in this too. Um, Lots of commentary on today's movies and uh, just... actors, method actors, I mean, just, there's a ton of good stuff in this. I really liked it, and I recommend it. Michael Keaton was really good in it. I, You see him every once in a while show up and stuff. I really liked him in Jackie Brown and uh, and the, and uh, when he was playing that character. And did, I think he, did he play that same character in uh, the one with uh, Clooney and Jennifer Lopez? The Oh, the ATF guy. I can't remember, but I know that, you know, he's, I think he's played that part a couple of times. Uh, next thing I watched was another rewatch. And that was from 2014 also. Jesus, man, I'm, I'm killing it on the new stuff, but uh, watching a lot of stuff that I've already watched. Uh, 2014's Guardians of the Galaxy, directed by James Gunn. And written by James Gunn, Nicole Perlman. I wonder if she's related to Ron Perlman. And I just looked it up, so I probably just fucked up my IMDb for the rest of the time looking at movies. Um, I've talked about this before. I still thought it was funny. When I started watching, I was like, oh, is this going to be a letdown this time? And I'm not going to think it's as good. But then when they, a lot of the funny stuff in it, uh, Drax and you know, everybody in it was good. It was, it was, uh, I liked the lightheartedness of it, but it also had some badass shit. Um, on the IMDb thing, I, I'm, I'm watching Chris Pratt dance. Uh, what <laughs> part of this? And you know what? Uh, I still don't think I watched the end where it had the little surprise again. So I need to go back and watch that. Fuck every time I forget, and I just turn it off when it's over. Um, hopefully, like the Ronan character, I always liked that character in the comics. He was a butthole in uh, Fantastic Four, 
and then he's kind of morphed in when they had the uh, annihilation uh, thing with uh, uh, Annihilus coming with his hordes of bugs uh, and taking over, you know, uh, the universe. Um, Ronan kind of had to step up uh, for the Kree, and he married uh, Crystal from the Inhumans. And at first, it was just kind of like a, a marriage of convenience to unite the Inhumans with the Kree. They're kind of cousins, but the Kree, uh, because of the Terrigen Mist, got all the extra special powers and everything. And um, but they wanted to kind of unite them, so um, Ronan married Crystal. And Crystal used to be way back in the early Fantastic Four. She was dating Johnny Storm. But uh, at first it was just a marriage of convenience and they really didn't get along. But then, you know, Ronan started kind of, he, he kind of turned into a hero. And I think they're getting along just fine. I don't know. I haven't read anything about them in a while. But uh, last I, I read they were, they were doing, uh, they actually were falling in love with each other, which is cool. I, I will wish only the best for Crystal. Me, I like her. Uh, <laughs> Christina Acuna will know all about this because she is a huge Inhumans fan, and I'm sorry that I mentioned your last name. Uh, Sleepy Chris. <laughs> uh, next thing I watched was another rewatch. I just rewatched all kinds of shit this week, but I, uh, this was uh, my friend Randy um, wanted to watch this, so we threw it in, uh, which was 1990s Miller's Crossing. Uh, written and directed by Joel and Ethan Cohen. Um, now, of course, you know I've seen this a million times. It's one of my favorite movies, starring Gabriel Byrne, Albert Finney, John Turturro. It's just got a fucking shitload of people in it. Um, Steve Buscemi's in it. Um, just you know, Marcia Gay Harden is awesome in it. Um, good uh, take on gangster movies. It's got all this uh, old, uh, you know. Uh, sayings and you know the, the the different things like twist a pig's ear watch him squeal you know uh you know the schmata and uh, all that shit uh, it, it, this is one of those ones it's like the godfather where i could just quote uh line after line after line you know about uh eddie dane you know about eddie dane's boy and all that shit and Mink LaRue and, you know, Jesus, Tom, Jesus. Uh, it's just great. I could watch it a million times. I love the music in it. Uh, everything about it is fucking awesome. Awesome! Miller's Crossing, if you haven't seen it, uh, do yourself a favor. Um, a favor. Next thing I watched, now this was a new one. Me. Um, this was on, this is on YouTube, and if you have about three hours to kill, put in 1963's The Victors. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Okay. Now, it's not a bad movie. It's not a good movie. It's not it's not a great movie. I'm sure they were going for great because this was back in the time when they were making like uh The Longest Day and uh these big epics uh Bridge on the River Kwai where they would uh, anything, you know, Lawrence of Arabia and stuff like that where they would have a uh an intermission. I just had an intermission. Um They'd have an intermission because the movie's fucking really long. Um, this is based on the novel by Alexander Barron, and it's a it's a World War II um, novel, uh, and, and you know it's just huge epic with all these stars in it, uh, directed by Carl Foreman. And the cast, one of the reasons I I 
I saw it the other night on YouTube when I was just looking up movies. And, you know, like I said, YouTube's kind of like the wormhole. If you, All you have to do is now, one way I found to find movies on there is, like, if you put in uh, Steve McQueen full movie, then it'll bring up every Steve McQueen movie they have. And then off to the side, they might have a Burt Lancaster movie. You click on that, and then you'll find all the Burt Lancaster movies they have. So, like that. so if you just put in a, an actor's name, or like I put in uh, Vim Vendors the other night, and it, it brought up some of his movies. Um, this has, let's see, who's in this? Uh, Albert Finney, George Hamilton, Jean Moreau. Each man kiss the things he loves. George Pappard, uh Let's see, who else is in this? Romy Schneider, Elkie Summer, who, uh, Terry Frost, uh, the first giant. That's one of his favorites. Uh, Eli Wallach. Peter Fonda, James Mitchum. There's all kinds of fucking people in this fucking movie. A kind of like a bridge too far kind of a movie. And basically what it is is uh, the Allies are going across Europe uh, at a pretty good clip. Uh, and uh, they are liberating all these these towns. And you have these GIs. And the main ones, uh, it's uh, uh, Eli Wallach is the sergeant. Uh, George Pappard and... George Hamilton, and then, you know, Jim Mitch, or uh, is it Jim Mitchum or Chris Mitchum? Uh, J- Jim, James Mitchum, that's the son that looks like Robert. Uh, and it says, as Jim Mitchum. Okay, it's James Mitchum. For some reason, I kept thinking, I just said um, the other one. Whatever, whatever, it's Jim Mitchum. And, um, but him and, like, Peter Fonda and those guys are just kind of like, uh, they're in the uh, platoon but they, they they'll have like some parts where they, you know they'll get drunk or they'll say this and that you know, have a few lines but they're not the big characters it's mostly Hamilton, Perpard and Eli Wallach and uh they're going uh, and Vince Edwards is is also uh, in it too um they're going across um Albert Finney <laughs> throwing out names um each man kiss the things he loves I I need to watch Corel again. I was just looking at it. Corel is on YouTube. I found it last night uh, in full. Um, But they're going across Europe and they're going into all these towns. And it does have some combat in it and some fighting. But most, uh, a lot of what it is is um, uh, them going into these towns and um, like either getting drunk or you know hooking up with some of the women and they're these are like uh, say the french women and their husbands have been gone and they don't know if their husbands are dead or not and they may have a kid and they're starving and the the gi's give them like food and you know they're screwing them and this and that it's it's good it's just it's uh it's one of these ones that was probably like a 600 page fucking novel and they put everything in it <laughs> or tried to it's very long so you know like i said just uh it's worth a watch and uh it's a good movie it's just long you know so you might want to do it in two parts or if you're just laying around and uh you know i there was a point where i had to turn it off and take a break and finish it later but anyway check it out it's on youtube for free the victors Alrighty, and I just said that I fucked up my IMDb, so I probably... No, I didn't. I did not fuck it up. And this is uh, one of the last things that I watched before I will go on to the two main films. Um, And this was from 1945. It's another war movie, one that I have not seen, but I had heard about. And um, it's A a Walk in the Sun, uh, 1945, directed by Lewis Milestone, or Millstone... 
Uh, stars Dana Andrews, Richard Conte. Uh, who else is in this? John Ireland's in it. Lloyd Bridges. It's another one that's got uh, uh, you know a few people in it. Um, the one reason that I... I'm trying to think... I, while I was even watching it, I was trying to think of the movie that I saw. There's a, there's a war movie out where the guy says... Uh, they ask him... Um, he's always asking for a cigarette. And he'll say, you know, butt me. Uh, you know, he'll look over at his his buddy and say, "Butt me," and the guy will give him a cigarette. And when he says that the, in the newer movie, the guy says, "Well, you know, what are you talking about? Where'd you get that from?" And he said, "It's from a, a, a haven't you ever seen a walk in the sun?" Richard Conte is really cool, and he always says to his buddy, "You know, butt me," and the guy gives him a cigarette and he lights it and smokes. It. He said how how cool he was smoking. You know, he just looked cool smoking, and that's how he got into smoking those kind of cigarettes or whatever, and he would always say he would emulate Richard Conte and say, but me. And I cannot remember what the fuck the movie that was. So anybody that remembers what war movie that's from or what movie it's from, I don't know if it's a war movie 100% or not, uh, but the guy, and they, they actually show a clip from this movie. Now this is a black and white oldie. Like I said, this was made in 1945. Well, shit, the goddamn fucking uh, uh, World War II uh didn't end until like 1945 so they were making this oh these headphones are killing me uh, sorry about that um it's good but it's it's uh it's got some horrible fucking music in it like they'll be digging uh foxholes or something like that and this guy will come on and be like he was thinking about his woman her name was ellen and she loved his schlong. He also had a girlfriend in America named Sagorny Weaver. And it's just awful. This fucking guy singing, it sounds like Leonard Cohen, except it's Leonard Cohen's shitty third cousin. And it's just thrown in there, and it's just really awful. Um, it's all right. It's this one's on YouTube. Also, the quality of it is not very good. Uh, there's parts at the beginning when they are on these uh, these uh, amphibious troop transports, and it's so dark. You can't. I mean, I guess it was supposed to be dark because they're they're doing the blackout thing. They're not allowed to have any lights uh, as they're coming in because they don't want to get shot up. But it's it's just a grainy, shitty qual. Uh, 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 quality uh cut of this uh, and it was all right it just you know it's one of those ones it's it's uh kind of dated it's one of those old-fashioned war movies it does have you know i mean it doesn't sugarcoat anything i mean you see people getting killed but the guys are always like you know uh, nobody really dies or they'll say something stoic or something really cynical you know but it just eh, it was all right it wasn't anything to write home about but me I always say that when I see a girl butt me and then they peg me with a six inch black dildo. That's not true. Anyway, rambling on here. Okay, now, I, instead of, <laughs> I don't want to say I didn't put a lot of thought into um, the two feature films for this week, 
Um, I didn't sit down and find a tenuous link or anything, so I guess we can call it a magnificent bastard. Um, maybe, you know what I'll call it? I think it's a magnificent marriage episode. And I was going to say magnificent bastard uh, uh, because of the star of the movie, but this movie stars both this actor and his, or both of these movies star this actor and his wife. And the actor is Charles Bronson and his beautiful wife, Gilles Ireland. Uh, and uh, the first movie I'm going to talk about is 1972's The Valachi Papers. Now, uh, as Will and Sammy from the Gentleman's Guide of Midnight Cinema <laughs> said, I don't know if it's, I don't think it was the last week. I don't think it was this week because this week was the the uh, uh, first time top thirty first time watches. Um, but I remember them saying uh, when they were uh, recording um, the one for Time Cop, I think that uh, they were like, oh shit, did we already fucking cover this? And uh, somebody had covered it on a bonus episode or something, but uh, they said they had been doing their podcast for so long now that, uh, you know, they start to start to worry that, you know, hey, did we cover this already or have we covered this? And this is the same thing with, the, with uh, like, this movie. I probably talked about it a little bit in a What Have You Been Watching segment of the show. Uh, because I've watched it several times, and I I, I like the movie, you know. I, it's, I I just like Charles Bronson, and so I'll watch just about any of his movies uh, from this time period, um, you know, in the, in the uh, early 70s. Um, but this movie was directed by Terrence Young, um, and I talked about it when I was talking about kind of getting into a gangster kind of a mode, and... Uh, uh, watching uh, the Godfather films, uh, watching the Lucky Luciano biopic, uh, and some of that stuff. Um, I even mentioned this movie. Now, this was uh, uh, the the book. It's based on the the book uh, by Peter Moss, who also did Serpico. Uh, he sat down with uh, Joe Valachi and uh, just basically got his story. And um, what happened was. Is that oh that's this desk I thought it was the dogs whining. Um, Joe Valachi was born in the United States. He was born in uh, East Harlem, and this is back in like 1903. This is back in uh, you know now nowadays when you hear Harlem, you, it, you know it's it's weird because how uh, the um, uh, what do you call it the uh, racial makeup of certain areas of a city uh, that, you know, change. And at this time, when he was a youngster, uh, this was like the Italian section. And, you know, later morphed into uh, the, you know, African-American section or whatever. Uh, More that that is the uh, makeup of the area. And um, he was, you know, his family was poor, and his dad was one of these asshole drunks that, you know, beat shit out of him when he was a kid and everything. So he kind of got, started getting into some trouble. And, um, and like I said, being, you know, at that time being, you know, kind of, uh, uh, you know, poor and like these guys growing up in Hell's Kitchen and places like that, um, he got involved in, in, you know, uh, like uh, petty robberies and things like that from an early age. And then, started his own little gang 
uh, and they would go rob places and this and that. Well, he had a unique perspective on the on uh, la Costa Nostra, uh, this this thing of ours, you know, the mafia. Uh, because what happened was he got sent to prison, and when he was in prison, he he met some uh, mafiosos that he was sharing a cell with, and they said, you know, what's your name, blah, blah, blah. And so he started talking to him, and uh, I think the one guy even said, hey, you know, when you when you get out, if, if you ever need anything, look me up. So he went back to his, you know, uh, gang of, you know, robbers, and um, they, were gonna get, they were getting ready to get busted, and he took off, and um, he just remembered that this guy owned a restaurant. So he went there, and the guy said, you know, I'll, I'll hide you. So he hides him, and, and so then he um, falls in with uh, with these uh, mafia guys, actually becoming a a, a driver and uh, you know uh, like a bodyguard and a driver for some fairly big name mafia guys. Well, um, when I was a little kid, living well, not living in this house, I'm living in it now, but when my grandma and grandpa lived in this house. They had this book down in the basement, the Vlachi Papers, and that was in the early '70s. And uh, you know, this this uh, movie was made in '72, so say it was around you know '74 or something like that. They had Peter Moss's book in the basement, and um, oh, these glasses are killing me. They're killing me, Johnny. They're killing me. Anyway, um, I. You know, flip through it and everything. It was like, it's not, it's not and <laughs> basically, what happened was uh, Joe Valachi got busted for drugs, for selling uh, drugs, like heroin, and uh, they were bringing heroin and uh, other drugs into the United States through these ports uh, in New York, and he got busted, and um, he was looking at some pretty you know, a long sentence. And there's two things, you know, his, his thing was that when he was in prison, uh, that, um, Vito Genovese, who was the godfather at the time, uh, which, which it would end up being, I think the Gambino, uh, crime family ended up being that. But at the time he, um, was in prison too. He got busted for drugs. Somebody had planted drugs, planted uh, heroin in his apartment. And uh, the cops got tipped off. They went up there and found it. And they said, well, the last people that were up here were Joe Valachi and these two other guys. So he thought that um, one of those three guys was a snitch and turned him in. So he put out like a contract on Joe Valachi in prison. He was in prison. Joe Valachi was in prison. And, you know, there was a bunch of his uh, mafia crony, mafia guys, just, you know, because when you're the godfather and you're in prison and you got your guys in there too, so, you know, he, and he's rich and he says, hey, I got this contract out on Joe Valachi. Well, some other speculation was that Valachi knew that he was just going to go to jail for, you know, life or whatever. And then he killed a guy in prison because he thought they were trying to kill him. And he thought that this guy was after him, and he beat the guy with a pipe. And it ended up it wasn't even the guy. He was mistaken identity. He thought it was this guy, and it was somebody else. 
Um, this is a wah wah wah. Um, that was my ultra duster industrial strength canned air. Um, but anyway, so they were gonna. He might have got the electric chair. Um, so he said, "Well, I'll make a deal." And um, but he said it was because they were trying to kill him. And they pretty much said, you know, we weren't trying to kill him, and he just did it because he just didn't want to be in prison forever. So he was the first uh, mafioso to let it all hang out and tell everything. And they had this uh, big commission. I think uh, this is McClellan. I can't remember what uh, commission it was. But they, there was a big commission. And, and when you watch uh, Godfather Part Two, where they bring Michael Corleone in front of this uh, commission, uh, uh, all these senators and everything, and they grill him about um, uh, the mafia and everything. Uh, that's where Francis Ford Coppola got the... Because like I said, uh, when I was talking about the Godfather episodes and everything, Coppola took a lot of true mafia stories and put them together to make up the Godfather. Uh, different things that happened were things that actually happened. They just, you know, made it for the Corleone family or whatever. Um but you have an uh, an international all-star cast in this, and I really like I, I even when I was a kid and I watched this, it was on TV or whatever. I, I just remember liking this movie. I know some people that have watched it that really don't like it or they think it's okay, but it's not because this came, this came out and it's like the uh, movie there was a movie with Kirk Douglas and Alex Cord about the Mafia 2, and I don't know if it was called The Family, The Brotherhood. And it came out about the same time, or right around the same time as The Godfather also. But, uh, you know, The Godfather, you know, Coppola was such a great director. Uh, it is a masterpiece. It, it has, it's, just has so much more depth, uh, and um, he just really put together, you know, this, this just great story. Uh, and like the the Brotherhood with uh, Kirk Douglas and Alex Cord, or this movie, they're not as polished, and uh, they're kind of like a they're they're interesting um, companion pieces for The Godfather because they were made around the same time, but they were made more like old school gangster movies. Uh, as opposed to Coppola taking uh, the old school gangster story, but turning it into this classic, uh, almost like a Greek tragedy or whatever. Um, you have Charles Bronson as Joe Valachi, and he's still, you know, I say he's young in this. It's 1973, which means he's probably like 50 years old. But he always looks so fucking good that even when he was like in his, when he was like in a 50. Um, early 50s, you know, 50, early 50s, he still looked looked really good. He was just chiseled. He was always really lean, had that, you know, uh, granite-looking, like, you know, carved uh, stone kind of face, you know, craggy kind of face. Uh, Lino Ventura is in this uh, from Army of Shadows fame and uh, uh, just a lot of other really great movies. I, I mean, I just, I love him. I can't, you know, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think of like, I, cause I know he's in the one movie with, uh, Elaine Delon. He's just in a lot of stuff, but army of shadows was like one of the, the one that he was like the main guy. And he was just, that's just such an awesome movie. Jill Ireland, of course, since this is the, uh, magnificent, uh, man and wife or magnificent marriage episode, uh, Charles Bronson's wife, Jill Ireland, uh, is in this, um, 
she plays um she is the daughter of a a, a, a mafioso and Valachi uh ends up becoming when they make him a made man he goes and and what would you say when they had the uh, commission and they're asking him all this stuff like okay what did they do here what did they do they have the flashbacks of what actually happened and um he was a driver for um this underboss guy and then um he he did a he did a job for one of them and i think it was like uh, him and these other guys uh, killed this guy or something so they made him a made man because he's a 100% full-blooded Italian and they said okay well we'll make you a made man and they did the the scene where he um they they uh pick one of the guys they have a big uh, banquet room and all the you know big time mafioso guys are there from like the five families and everything and um Salvatore Maranzano is is the um the uh his the like the main guy there was a, there was a war going on between Salvatore Maranzano and Joe Mazzaria. And Joe Mazzaria's guys were like uh, Lucky Luciano, uh, Vito Genovese, uh, Albert Anastasia. Um, or no, I think Albert Anastasia was actually on the other side, but then he went over. Uh, there were several of them out of that bunch. Like when you watch the movie Mobsters and and some of those movies where they do the, the younger versions, you have Lucky Luciano, Meyer Lansky, uh, Albert Anastasia, uh, Vito Genovese, and those guys, Bugsy Siegel. Um, they kind of were the young guys coming up, but the two older guys, what they called the Mustache Peets, were Joe Mazaria and <laughs> Salvatore Maranzano. And they had, uh, they called it the Calamarese War, Calamarese War or whatever, uh, which was those two guys fighting each other. Or their 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 uh, mafia families fighting each other, and um, Luciano, Meyer Lansky, Bugsy Siegel, and all those guys, they wanted to end the war, so they said, "Well, what we'll do is we will help you guys because what we're going to do is we'll kill, like I think they." They like the, the, they killed their boss, but then they went and killed the other boss. And then Luciano said, "Okay, well, what we'll do is we'll have like uh, we'll start up a we'll run it like a commission, uh, like a corporation, and we won't have a capo do to capi, which is the main man. We'll have five the five families, uh, and they'll, be, they'll act like as a board of directors. And then you'll have Capone in Chicago, and you know the guys in." Uh, New Orleans and uh, you know uh, Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and all over you know the country. Um, but Valachi, Charles Bronson, he gets to be a made man, and they pick a guy to be his uh, his captain or whatever. And um, the guy that they pick is the father of Jill Ireland's character, um, and. So he becomes this guy's driver and bodyguard, and then later on he, um, his, when they have the war going on uh, between um, Maranzano and um, Joe Mazzaria, they 
his boss gets killed and he takes his boss back to his to his wife's house and his daughter Joe Ireland and so then he starts falling in love with her so you have a little love story and then eventually he ends up marrying the Joe Ireland character who ends up being his wife um, but it's funny when they have the um, uh, the courting session because um, Joe Ireland's mother thinks he's a thug and everything but then when he gets to be a made man he actually has I think Vito Genovese goes with him to be his chaperone and he sits there and the mother and Vito Genovese Vesey talk to each other and Velacci sits there and um, Maria, Joe Ireland sits across from him and they're not even really allowed to speak and he, she says, you know do, does, do you have a ring? And, you know, and he, shows, he gives the ring to Vito Genovese who gives it to the mother and she's like was it this uh, cash or a charge? You know, and he's, so yeah, there's little humorous moments like that because he's holding his hat and trying to be prim and proper, and she brings him these like thing of, of wine and cookies, but he has to like sit the the cookies, the plate of cookies on his lap and try and hold his hat and hold the wine at the same time. And he's dropping shit and everything, and then he's like kind of like a uh, low class guy. So she brings him these. Um, I don't know if it was cookies or if it was like some kind of like hardtack candy on a plate, like homemade. And he takes like a big hand, the, takes the whole plate, takes a big handful of it, and puts it in his fucking like suit pocket, which is kind of funny. So there's some funny shit like that. His buddy that he met in prison that uh, was in the mafia and, that, and then ends up becoming like his sidekick is a guy uh, they call uh, the Gap. That's his. I can't remember his real name. I looked him up last night, but um, his nickname was the Gap in real life and I don't know why they called him Gap or The Gap um, played by Walter Shiari. Um he's really good he kind of reminded me of like James B.C. King but I, I I knew that wasn't him but that's what he looked like and he's just like kind of like a dummy I mean he's smart but he he's illiterate he can't read uh, and but he's a ladies man and um Genovese gets because when uh, they knock off Maranzano and Joe Mazzaria and, and Luciano and them take over and make the commission and everything um, he's scared to death because he thinks they're going to kill him and, and the gap and everybody there was, a, there was a lot of underhanded shit where guys on both sides that were the younger underling guys were working together to knock off the old bosses so the gap comes in and says hey you got nothing to worry about you know we put in a good word for you you're with us now and he got to be Vito Genovese's driver so again he is uh, eyewitness to a lot of shit that the top guys did just because he was a driver and a bodyguard ah, chomp <laughs> so anyway he um, Genovese uh, asked him to do he says something to Genovese like you know uh, about doing him, he's uh, he does something. I can't remember what it was. If he, if Falacci owed money or something, I can't remember what it was. But uh, he says, "Geez, you know, th- thanks, Mister Genovese. You know, if there's anything I can do for you." And Genovese says, "Well, as a matter of fact, there is something you can do for me. I want you to, I want you to hit some guy." So Genovese, the Gap, and another guy kill this guy. Well, what it ends up being is uh, Genovese uh, 
wanted to was in love or wanted to fuck this showgirl and that was her husband <laughs> and and they didn't know it and then when they find out the uh, like uh um Veloci just when the gap tells him that you know this was what's her name's husband he's like jesus fucking christ you know i thought we were killing this guy for a reason we're just killing him because the boss wanted to fuck his wife and that was another thing that you know they even said when they did the um the ceremony, you know, I, I will burn as these ashes burn, the blood of my blood, blah, 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 blah. You know, blood in, blood out. Once you join the Costa Nostra, there's only one way out is to to, to, to die. And uh, one of the things they said was you, you never, um, uh, you know, strike or uh, violence against uh, uh, somebody else that's in the Costa Nostra. And you never fuck, <laughs> you, never, you never sleep with one of their wives or girlfriends. Well, you know, they're a bunch of ruthless fucking criminals, so, you know, it's, it's just like anything else. If they can get, it's like you're not supposed to, to kill a boss either, but they killed uh, Mazaria and Maranzano. So, you know, they're criminals, they're cutthroats, so, you know, but he's in the family of cutthroats, and even though they're cutthroats, they, they still, they follow these, these rules, uh, they try to. And then if one of them breaks the rules, they go to the commission, and the commission judges on it. Usually, the commission just wants money and tell you know, say, okay, well, you pay this much, and you pay that much, and shut the fuck up, and whatever. Unless it's something really bad, and then they'll fucking kill you. So he becomes Genovese's uh, bodyguard, and then Genovese, and this is all true life stuff with the commission thing, and killing Maranzano, and Mazaria, and all this stuff. Well, um, Lucky Luciano gets deported. Uh, the the government decides, okay, well, we're going to deport this motherfucker uh, for being a pimp and all this stuff, unsavory guy. Because uh, some of these guys came over from uh, Sicily, you know, they came over from Italy, and um, there were some of them that were not even, they either had dual citizenship or they were still Italians, but they were living here. And so when they found out that uh, the government wanted to get rid of them, like Genovese and and both uh, him and Lucky Luciano, they deported them. And um, so when they deported Genovese, um, he said, well, okay, I want you two guys to look after my woman, this redhead showgirl. And uh, they dubbed, she's up there singing, you know, know, topless or whatever in the show. And uh, they dub in like somebody else singing, and it was horrible. I mean, even the fucking voice of the woman was just, it didn't sync up, and it was just horrible but anyway. But she was kind of hot. She kind of reminded me of Tina Louise from uh, uh, Gilligan's Island. Uh, red hair, you know, just pretty pretty hot. You know, she'd be the kind of chick that would get you into fucking trouble, which does happen to the Gap. And uh, to, much to Valachi's chagrin, because he's like, you know, God, you're 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 fucking, you're gonna fuck the the boss's daughter, Jesus Christ, we're gonna get fucking killed, and you know, and um, it was funny because they, when they first walk in on them to tell her in her dressing room that they're gonna be her bodyguards, there's a naked another naked hot chick laying over on the bed, and she had just had lesbian sex with her, and the gaps like how do you do it? I mean, you know, I know, like, with me, you know, but uh, how could you, you know, it was, it was pretty funny. So anyway, and then you have Albert Anastasia, who was known as the Mad Hatter. Uh, <laughs> he was kind of a uh, crazy boss. Uh, like, he was really violent, and all he wanted to do is, like, you know, his solution to everything was to kill people. And um, they called him the Mad Hatter and the Lord High Executioner. He was, uh, uh, it was him and, uh, 
uh, Lepke, uh, Bookwalder, Bookwald, uh, were the heads of uh, Murder, Inc. And I talked about that movie with Peter Falk and uh, Stuart Whitman uh, a few weeks ago. Uh, but this is the same thing, Murder, Inc. Um, and you see a lot of that stuff that happens uh, through the history. If you've read a lot of uh, uh, stuff about the, the American Cosa Nostra, there's a lot of historical stuff in this. They name all the names. This was one thing that was big about the Veloci papers was uh, before this, J. Edgar Hoover was saying there is no organized crime in the United States. It's just a bunch of thugs. None of it's organized and everything. Nobody knew anybody, you know, all the top guys' names and everything. And after this, when Veloci testified, and then they had the uh, Appalachian thing where they all got together um, because Genovese uh, ended up killing, I'm not going to say who because some of you might not have even seen this, ends up killing another boss. And when he came back from his exile, uh, he had this big get together. With all these mafia guys, all the top guys, all the commission guys, the guys from Chicago, the guys from New Orleans, um, from from all across the country, uh, Las Vegas, Los Angeles, and everything, and they all got together at this place in, um, um, I think, um, was it Northern New York or Pennsylvania? I can't remember. Um, but anyway, and it all got it got raided, and they busted all of them. So they were like, well, okay, what the fuck? So that where they got everybody's names that way and then with Veloci testifying and saying okay, they knew that like say somebody got killed but they didn't know who did it or why and he filled in all these gaps and and uh, and and told all the names and everything but as far as the movie goes um, I really like it I, I, I thought it was really good um, I'm trying to think what that one guy's name was that uh, I think it was uh, that played uh, Anthony Dawson is in this. But that's not who I'm thinking of. He was in. Uh, he was Doctor No, and I'm trying to think who he played in this. He was Doctor No. He plays uh, Salvador Maranzano, I think. Uh, I read that last night. That that uh, and I, I was like, oh shit, I can't believe that the, you know it's the same guy because in uh, when he played Doctor No, of course they tried to make him look like a uh, an Asian guy. Um. That must must be him. Well, I can't remember what the guy's fucking name is. Um, Gerald S. O'Laughlin, I think, is the guy that plays uh, the FBI guy that's interrogating and talking to Malachi all the time. And he's really good, too. He was in uh, uh, In Cold Blood. He was, I think, the sergeant on the old TV show The Rookies. I thought it was Steve McQueen's buddy, and I can't remember what his name is now either, but it, it's, that's who it is. And he was really good in this. Uh, Bronson was good. They age him in this, um, uh, which, like I said, because he was probably 50 years old at the time, he can play younger. Uh, you know, And then when, he got, when they had him play older, it wasn't hard because that's how old he was. He just made his hair a little bit gray, which it, there's parts in it where when they grayed his hair – they used to do this all the time. They try and make their hair look gray, and then I don't know if it was something to do with uh, the lens or how they shot it or whatever. Sometimes their hair would look almost blue, which looked kind of stupid. But I like the movie. This is an old favorite. It's not a great uh, drama, like I said, along the lines of um, uh, Once Upon a Time in America or 
Godfather one or two or you know something top notch, top tier, top notch like this. This was a, an Italian uh, made uh, movie. Uh, you can see, you can tell that some of it's dubbed, but it's good. I like it. Um, and as far as Bronson movies go, I have revisited this quite a few times. So, and I own it. It's the Valachi Papers, 1972. Okay, now. To get down to another, the second feature of the Magnificent Man and Wife episode with Charlie and Jill, um, you know, was it uh, David McCallum, McCallum from The Man from Uncle, and he was also in, uh, oh, Jesus Christ, James Garner, World War II movie, The Great Escape, <laughs> he was in that too, he was in a lot of stuff, but anyway, um, uh, David McCallum mostly was known with uh, starring in Man from Uncle with uh, I almost said Vince Vaughn, Jesus Christ, um, Robert Vaughn as Ilya Kiryakin and uh, Napoleon Solo. Okay, so anyway, uh, and they're remaking um, uh, making a feature film out of Man from Uncle, and I will say this: it looks the fucking trailer looks really good. I thought it looked really cool, but uh, Jill Ireland was married to. David McCallum. And I believe it was when they were making The Great Escape. Uh, they were out at dinner one night. Uh, you know, a bunch of them, the, the stars and everything, got together and went out to dinner. And Charles Bronson said to David McCallum, You know, one of these days I'm going to steal your wife from you. And they just laughed about it. Well, guess what? <laughs> Charlie put the moves on Jill and they decided, you know, hey, you know, uh, I know I'm married and everything, but, uh, you know, this is my soulmate. And when you think about it, it's like uh, Johnny Cash and June Carter Cash. Uh, when Johnny Cash was married and he met June Carter and fell in love and, you know, he gets divorced from his wife, she gets divorced from David McCallum, and they end up fucking married for 70 fucking years or however, 50 years or whatever. Um so it ended up working out, right? I think, the, the right way. And probably David McCallum probably would even say, well, Jesus Christ, hell, they were married forever, so whatever. And, he, you know, what's he going to do about it? Charles Bronson beat his ass. <laughs> but anyway, um, the next movie is 1979's Love and Bullets. Uh, you can find the Veloci Papers on YouTube for free, and you can find Love and Bullets on YouTube for free. So, uh this movie was directed by Stuart Rosenberg and um, written by Wendell Mays. Now, this kind of ties in with Wise Blood, which I talked about before, just because it started out that John Huston was going to direct this movie. And he, I don't know what happened, because he must have directed some of it, uh, because he is, it says directors Stuart Rosenberg and John Huston uncredited. So he must have shot some of the scenes, or maybe they decided that um, it wasn't going to be for him, or he had something else to do, or blah, 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 blah. I don't know what. And they brought in Stuart Rosenberg, but they had Houston shoot some of the scenes, too. Um, stars Charlie Bronson. It stars Jill Ireland, Rod Steiger. And as a nod to the, uh, a great podcast known as the Sylvan Gold Podcast, it also stars Henri Silva, Henry Silva, who is uh, one of our uh, you know namesake of this show. Uh, Struther Martin, Bradford uh, Dillman, 
and Paul Coslow. It's got a pretty good cast. And this is one of those ones, when I saw that John Huston was the original director, it's kind of like one of those uh, what-might-have-been movies, because John Huston, I think, would have made this differently, and it would have been a lot better. Uh, not that it's not good. I still like this movie. And this is one of those ones that I, again, have heard you know, people say, eh, you know, I didn't really like it. I, it wasn't that good or whatever. But I love Charles Bronson. I love this period of time. Now, this is almost 1980, but still, Bronson still looks good, still lean. He's got the stash in this one. In the Veloci paper, no stash, no catfish. In this one, he's got the catfish stash, but he still looks good. He doesn't have the puffy face that he got old when he got older. Um, but it's one that some people may say middle of the road, but it's another one that I will revisit just because I love watching Charles Bronson and I love this period of time from the early seventies till this, you know, time and maybe a little bit past this early eighties, uh, when he started getting into doing, I think the last good thing that I like death wish Two. And then after that, it was kind of like poop, you know. There were a few things here and there. You know, he had that appearance in Indian Runner uh, when he got older. And uh, I think that was a t- uh, the series of TV movies, Family of Cops. I heard that, I think I saw one of those, but, you know, I remember him being okay. Now. And he played uh, Jock Yablonski, the, uh, the uh, uh, mining, or coal mine uh, union uh, organizer who was uh, running for the um, presidency of the Teamsters, uh, which is, he was really good in that. That's a, and that's a fucking, that's a true story that uh, my family knows a lot about. They actually, you know, knew, I think my grandpa even had met Jock Yablonski uh, because, you know, he was, he was in the Teamsters and he was running for the presidency of the Teamsters and some really bad shit went, went down there uh, at, at that time. And that was when my, Grandpas and uncles and everything were in the coal mines and, you know, so anyway. Uh, but this movie is, um, it's an action movie um, that really highlights. Now, the Veloci Papers had Jill Ireland in it, and she did have a big part in it, but this movie is Charlie and Jill's together. This is their movie. Uh, or one, you know, one where they are the two main people and they're in it like 90% of the fucking movie uh, together. Um, and the storyline of this is it's it has it's also has some mafioso stuff in it, but uh, Bronson is on the other side of the of the law in this one. He's a sheriff, and uh, he is. Um, they kind of have like one of those commission things like the, they had in the Veloci papers or in the Godfather part two where they're um, the, the, the main Godfather Rod Steiger um, they're asking people about him in front of this uh, Senate commission or whatever and they call his girlfriend Jill Ireland to the stand uh, her name is Jackie Pruitt okay now if you ever like watched or heard or saw videos of like old country music stars uh, Jackie Pruitt played by Joe Ireland is kind of like a Dolly Parton slash Tammy Wynette um, kind of a person um, she's kind of a dimwit country girl um, 
that has hooked up with this uh, mafioso guy, and he gives her. She she's almost childlike. Like she when they show her, she's uh she's got her sewing machine. She, they live in this big mansion, and she's got her sewing machine, and she's sewing like little dresses and outfits for her bar like Barbie dolls, and she has like this little dog. Um, I think it's a a dachshund. I, I was thinking, I always think that you know she, that somebody like her would have like a little white poodle that had like you know that was all trimmed and everything. But I think it's a little uh, like dachshund if I remember correctly. And um, it's one of those deals where you know. Steiger's is is a like a, a boss in the mafia, and um, they call her up to the, to the stand, and, and when they're asking her all these questions, she is kind of like you know I don't know nothing about that you know I you know I, I, I'm I'm his girlfriend you know and uh, she just is kind of like a scatterbrain chick, but they think okay, she may be stupid. Well, first of all, they think okay, she's putting on an act. She's acting like she's stupid, but she lives with him, so you know she's seen all this shit. She's seen people come and go from the house. She's overheard stuff, but she's like, I don't know nothing about that kind of stuff. And then she's chewing gum and stuff, whatever. And just uh, has like a big, um, the big, like, uh, like I said, like, I want to say Dolly Parton, but, you know, when you think of Dolly Parton, you think about the big, huge tits and the, but she kind of had those, like, 70s, like, a blonde wig, like Tammy Wynette or whatever. She kind of uses, like, a country accent and is dumb. And Steiger's, like, back behind her. He's kind of, like, just, like, rolling his eyes. But, I mean, he loves her. But he knows she's a dumbass and everything. But uh, she's, like, his little, she's almost infantile. Kind of like uh, Stephen Bauer now, who's 58 years old, dating an 18-year-old girl. Except that 18-year-old girl is probably smarter than Joe Ireland in this movie. Um, but they're kind of worried that uh, if the cops put the the screws to her, they know she's dumb. But they all that the mafia also knows. Okay, she's been there. She's been around everything. Maybe he said stuff in front of her. You know, she's overheard phone calls and everything. So they're worried. Well, then you get introduced to uh, Bronson, who is. He's a sheriff in the, I think it's like Arizona in a, in this town in Arizona, and um, there's kind of a there's uh, I guess like a maybe an epidemic or something like that of this this bad heroin that's going around and these people are are dying from it, and he's in the morgue and he's in the and he's you know so what do you got here duck and uh, and, and uh, they show, you know, this young girl laying on the table and she's got these big bruises all over her arms where she shot up and they said, you know, somebody give her a, you know, a hot dose or whatever and, and, and overdosed her and killed her. Well, so then, uh, this is just a setup for the rest of the movie, but uh, this one uh, uh, city, I think it's like a, a deputy or a city cop or whatever get, uh, comes in and he, he like runs out of the place, gets in his cop car and just starts driving like a maniac. Well, Bronson goes out and like uh, chases after him and pulls his car in front of him and he gets up and he says, you know, what are you doing? You know, what the what the hell got into you? And uh, the guy says, well, that was my my girlfriend in there. And, uh, you know, we were going to get married and everything. And, and then he, the, the, the young cop says, he knows who did this. It's that mafia guy, Rod Steiger, um, who plays Joe Bomposa. And he says, uh, you know, I know it's him. Ever since him and his scumbag f- people came to this area, 
you know, that they're they're spreading their goddamn junk around and you know, and all this stuff turning people into junkies and everything. And so Bronson says, you know, get in the car, let's go get a cup of coffee, because he's trying. You know, at first he's like, what the hell's gotten into you, you know, and everything. Well, then when he hears that and he hears that, you know, this guy's freaked out because he just saw his girlfriend laying there dead. He's sympathetic and he says, you know, come on, let's go get a cup of coffee and talk. So they go and talk and he basically tells the guy, he says, you know, I understand where you're, where you're coming from, but we'll, we'll get this guy, but you know, we have to do it, you know, through the law and you need just, you need to get yourself together and uh, blah, 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 blah. Well, the guy is kind of saying, he goes, you know, we can't, with these kind of guys, we can't just worry about the courts because they have all their lawyers and they have all this money. We have to kill them. And Bronson's like, you know, I'm going to pretend like I didn't hear that, you know. And um, so the guy basically stands up and says, you know, I'm going to get this guy or whatever. And then Bronson's like, well, you know, there's nothing I can do, you know, you know, but I'll I'll have to do something about this. Well, the guy goes out and gets in his car, and as soon as he starts the cop car up, the cop car just explodes. So then it's on because Bronson's kind of like, okay, you know, what the fuck? And he kind of gets thrust into the whole situation because the FBI comes, and what happens is is uh, Steiger's Steiger takes off, and he takes off to and goes to Switzerland. Well, the FBI wants to get him back, but they can't operate outside the United States. So they say, you know, for some reason, I don't know why they would, you know, why they picked Charlie. But they say, you know, um, and this is um, uh, Bradford uh, Dillman. And the FBI guy, now I like him. He's I've seen him in like some World War II movies and stuff. And I always, he always plays either like a, a, a corrupt fed or I know I've seen him in some World War II movies too. Um, I'm trying to think what one it was. Jesus Christ. Uh, well, he was in the Escape from Planet of the Apes. He was, uh, well, I think he was Harry Callahan's boss in The, the Enforcer, if you if you remember that movie you know, with uh, the Clint and the Eastwood. He's been in a ton of shit. I mean, just a bunch of crap. <laughs> Not all crap, but he's been in some, I mean, some good stuff. He's a good actor. And um, he's the FBI guy, and he says, well, you know, uh, we want you to go get Rod Steiger. He took off and went to Switzerland. And he took this dame with him, his his woman. So, um, but they most they, they really want it. They want to get her because she, they want her to testify. So it's kind of like the fish out of water thing. Not too bad though, because you know they're over there and they go over to Switzerland, and it's not like they they're going like if if uh, Bronson like Michael Douglas in Black Rain went to Japan and he doesn't speak the English and the culture so different and everything. It's not really as much like that because there's you know a lot of people in Switzerland that speak English and you know it it everybody's they don't really play that up at all. Um, so Bronson goes over there and they they send a couple of FBI guys uh, to shadow him and of course he he figures that out right away first of all because they you know Jesus Christ if you if they were on a bus and you turned around and said okay pick out the FBI guys they all have they they both have uh fucking trench coats with the belts around the waist and glasses you know the sunglasses on and shit and they look like uh some fucking Ivy League douchebags so Bronson kind of you know 
goes up to them and says, you know, what the fuck are you doing? Well, you know, they they wanted us to, to keep an eye on you and make sure that everything's cool. And he's like, listen, you know, you sound like a sore thumb. And, uh, you know, <laughs> how am I going to find this guy if I got you fucking trailing me and shit? So, um, he goes, uh, there, uh, Steiger and Joe Ireland and Steiger's, you know, goons are staying in this big chalet. Really nice. And there's some nice looking scenery in this. You get to see like the, I don't know if it's, I guess the Swiss Alps, uh, you know, and all that shit. Um, which looked really impressive. And, um, Bronson, the the whole movie, it's got, it, it is kind of disjointed. Like they had scenes and they just kind of put them, the action scenes and threw them together and stuff. But you got some good action in this. And the one thing I like is, uh, is that Bronson, because he's in a foreign country, uh, he doesn't have any weapons. He doesn't have a gun or anything. So it's kind of like one of those things where Bronson turns into like MacGyver, <laughs> and he and he when he kills people, he kills them with different things that he either gimmicks that he comes up with or like a some kind of tool, like a hatchet or something like that. You know, throw a hatchet like a tomahawk. <laughs> but anyway, he. He goes to the. He finds out where they're at, and he goes to the chalet, and and uh, he outwits the the guards, and he gets the chick, and they take off, and so they're kind of on the run. He's bringing her, bringing her back, and then gonna turn her over to the FBI, and um, she has on this fucking goddamn wig, that is like I posted a picture of it on the Silver and Gold group. This it's uh, it's like a big perm. Almost looks like an, an afro, but it's like a big perm, and she just looks fucking stupid. But she dresses like really gaudy and stuff, and just looks dumb. Anybody that would that would dress like that, and the way she acts and everything, it's like Jesus Christ. They even get on the bus, and she's like, "What are you staring at me for?" You know, and he's like, "I just trying to picture what you'd look like without that goddamn hair and all that makeup on." And so then she gets up, and goes to the bathroom, comes back out, and she just kind of has like a short kind of pixie haircut, her natural hair, and he's like, yeah, that's better. And uh, <laughs> Charlie doesn't, he doesn't want his, he doesn't want his women all dulled up like a clown, you know. Um, now, after he gets her and he's taking her, he's going to take her back to the States, um, the Steigers, uh, Struther Martin is there too. He's like a, a, a lawyer that, uh, that is advising, uh, Rod Steiger. And the funny thing, Rod Steiger plays this mafia uh, boss. And, uh, I guess it's just something that he just came, maybe he just came up with, uh, as part of the, the character, but he stutters all the time. Like, I mean, like, the, 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 like, you know, he c- can't figure out where c- 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 Charlie took Jackie, you know, so he's got this stutter, and at first I thought, Jesus Christ, does Rod Steiger stutter? You know, I don't remember him stuttering in any other movie. So it's just something I think that that he just thought, you know, as maybe as a method actor that he would just throw in there, just for why not? You know, I don't know. Um, so he has, um, well, first of all, he's got this one uh, killer, and uh, Struther Martin and a couple of his uh, other guys say, listen. I know you love, you know, boss, I know you love this broad, but she got to go. Because if she talks, it's going to be the end of all of us. We're all going to go to fucking prison because she knows too much shit. She may be stupid, but she knows a lot of shit. So he doesn't want to do it because he loves her, but he says, you know, okay, well, God damn it, you know, fuck. 
<laughs> I guess I guess you got to go, honey. You know, I don't want to do it, but you know, she's got to go. So it's weird because you know you would think in in these mafia movies that they would have um, mostly you know Italian American, Italian Italian American uh, hitman and stuff, but they have uh, Paul Coslow. Uh, is in this, and I like him. He's been in a ton of shit, biker movies. He was in uh, The Getaway with Steve McQueen, uh, or no, uh, not The Getaway. He was in um, Mr. Majestic. He was the little dickhead that. Um, oh my God! What the fuck's his name? The big asshole that uh, that fucking um, shit. <laughs> The one that had Sally Struthers, uh, Al Latieri. He's the he's the the blonde haired guy that uh, Charles Bronson hits in the nuts with the shotgun at the beginning, and and Al Latieri uh, pretty much abuses him throughout the whole thing. And then Bronson at the end of Mr. Majestic says, uh, "You know, lay over that railing and pretend like you're shot." You know, um, he's a little douche in that movie, and, and, and in this one, he's just a creepy kind of like a. It's weird that he's working for the mafia, but I guess because he's just kind of a, a crazy killer guy, he has like a, a, I guess like a hearing aid, but it's like, you know, now they have those hearing aids that fit in your ear that you can't even see. Well, this is like one of those uh, transistor radio, either that or was it an earphone. I mean, you know, the old transistor radio that had the, the earphone, it was just one thing that you, like a bud that you put in your ear, white bud it had this big white cord that ran off down near your transistor radio he's got that and then he wears these fucking shoes that look i thought they were like uh fucking they look like almost like uh crocs or something <laughs> i thought they were like clogs but they're leather but they almost look like crocs or some kind of orthopedic shoe or something just real weird and he just looks more like a kind of a, a, a ugly biker hippie guy but the, the one guy warns Bronson he says watch out for uh, this guy Hunts he said he's fucking nuts you know and he'll uh, he's, he, he loves to kill you know he's got this uh, he loves blood he loves to kill and all this shit so he's a he's a douche well then um, he's after Bronson and plus some of the other of Steiger's uh, guys but then Steiger also has Vittorio Ferrone and that's played by the Silva <laughs> Okay, now, to have Silva and Bronson in the same movie is just fucking, like, uh, goddamn, I don't know, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage teaming up as the mega powers. But actually, uh, uh, Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage would be probably, like, uh, having uh, Paul Newman and Robert Redford, whereas if you had Bronson and uh, Silva would be like, uh, I don't know, I'm trying to think of some fucking, uh, you know, I, I don't know, Bull Curry and, uh, and fucking uh, Brute Bernard, I don't know, some shit like that, some old wrestlers, but anyway, uh, or Killer Brooks and, yeah, whatever, oh, enough of the old wrestling, uh, but Silva in this is, he's like a, okay, he does the stone face, he doesn't hardly say jack shit, and when he does, it's hilarious. Because, like, he's in this, uh, in the, he, okay, first of all, he looks like, if you took, like, a, 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 a King Cobra and put a fucking silk shirt on it and a pair of slacks, that's what he looks like. He's got this 
those dead eyes, that fucking thousand yard stare, like dead eyes, like a snake, stone fucking face, and like his girlfriend's sitting there, and she's like, you know, uh, you know, uh, Vittorio, you know, it's important to have a, a good breakfast in the morning. I read the other day that you should have a good breakfast, and she's just going on and on and on, and he's standing there staring out the window with those dead eyes, and he doesn't even turn around and look at her or anything. He's just staring straight at it and he goes, why don't you shut your... Or he says something like, why don't you shut up? You know, or shut your face or something like that. But he just says it in such a monotone, dead way. It's like he's a fucking mannequin. Now, I know I've said that a million times before with Silva. He is like some kind of fucking robot or something. I swear to God. I think the guy was a fucking robot. Um, it's amazing. Now... He doesn't have a ton of shit to do in this movie because mostly it's just a henchman that work for him or Steiger and then Paul Coslow trying to kill Bronson and Joe Ireland. I'm trying to kill Joe Ireland, but Bronson's there, so of course, you know, he's in on it too. You have some pretty cool car chases, you know, you got a lot of snow and stuff like that and these cool like European cars, you know, little smaller cars and everything. Um, Bronson at one point um, makes a blowgun, like a dart blowgun, out of a lamp in his room, and uh, he he finds like a, a toolbox or a toolbox in the the janitor in the hotel has, and he and he finds these like uh, screw nails or whatever, and he takes paper and makes darts out of them, and then he's sitting there like you know of course this motherfucker makes these things and. And uh, he shoots like one light bulb in his room to test it, and then after that he can hit hit you in the eye, you know, from fucking thirty yards away and, and fucking kill you with it. He he get they're out at this one uh, place and this uh, this guy's trying to kill him, and uh, it's out in the country, uh, like a uh, a barn or something, and the guy's up on the roof of a barn, and uh, Charlie takes a. Um, like a wash tub or something, and he rolls it down in the snow, and the guy just hears plump, 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 plump on the other side of the barn, so he runs over to the other side of the barn thinking that he's running away, and he has a, a fucking hatchet, like a tomahawk hatchet, uh, that was in the barn, and he fucking throws it, and, you know, throws it, and of course it hits per. It never, it would never hit handle first and just fall away, you know, because the guy's shooting at it. He throws it, and it fucking just buries right in the guy's back, and then the guy, the stuntman, actually does a pretty cool uh, drop because this is a high roof on this barn off the roof into the snow and you see the 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 tom the hatchet's in the guy's back until he hits the ground then when he hits the ground it falls out but still it's like god damn man you know you think that, that would be fucking difficult you'd be afraid to land on the damn thing um i've seen this several times but there's one part of it toward the end that i forget and it surprises me. And then <laughs> there's a fucking grand finale with Bronson and um, something that he does to Steiger and his men that just made me laugh out loud. Because you see it coming a mile away, or at least you think you know what's going to happen. But when it happens, it's about. 100 times worse than what you know is going to happen. And I was like, Jesus fucking Christ. 
<laughs> but it was still awesome. But there, there is that chemistry between them. And I, I, I didn't look it up. I don't know how many times that um, Bronson and Joe Ireland worked together. It was quite a bit because there were times where, like in The Man Behind the Door, um, she was Anthony Hopkins or Anthony – not Anthony Hopkins. That's Hannibal. Um Anthony Perkins. She was his wife in that, so she really wasn't in it that much. But, you know, I just think they like to work together. Um, It's the dead air. It's the dead air. I keep a close watch on this heart of mine. And uh, let's see. I was going to see how many... You know, you would think that they would have that in there. Uh, she was married to David McCallum for 10 fucking years. But then she married uh, Bronson in 68, and she passed away in um, 1990. So from 68 to 90, they were together. That's a pretty, pretty good clip there, you know. Uh, but, you know, you would think on this thing here it would say how many movies, just straight out how many movies they were in together. But I don't see it, so. Um, poor Jill. Uh, let's see how old was she when she passed away. She was only 54. Jesus Christ. You know, that's that's sad. Uh, she had breast cancer, and I know that I remember when that was going down and everything, and you know, she she had it for for a few years, and it was just you know a struggle. And you'd see him together. He was he stayed by her side, you know, the whole time and everything. It was really awesome. Um, I remember that they made a a um, they made a TV movie about her. Uh, yeah, Jill Clayburg played her, and I'm trying to think of who played. Charles Bronson. For some reason, I was wanting to say it was Alex Cord, but I don't think it was. Um, but it was uh, reason for living the Joe Ireland story, and um, you know, like I said, that's just it's just sad that someone, you know, when she passed away. Like I said, if she passed away in um, uh, what year was it? Nineteen ninety. I look at it now. And, and think you know her only being fifty four years old. That's even especially at my age now. That's that's pretty young, you know, for for someone to um, to to go. And uh, I said something about you know when I saw Dan Fogelberg when he died. You know, he was only like in his early fifties too. And that was you know it's just sad to see somebody uh, and both of them you know with cancer. But um, I admire, you know, that's one thing about, you know, when I when I chose to watch these movies, um, I just wanted to watch a couple of Bronson movies. I just happened to pick two that had them in it. But I will say this, you know, it is it is admirable that, you know, when two people can stay together through thick and thin. And not only that, but like I said, you know, just them, um, once they met and they got married, it seems like... Uh, you know, I'm not 100% sure how many movies they were in together, but there were a lot. And that some of them she didn't have a huge role in, but she was there, and so you knew they were there on the set together and everything. Um, but anyway, that is the Magnificent Man and Wife episode, uh, Charles Bronson and Joe Ireland. 
And, um, you know, just kind of um, this episode just kind of happened. Like I said, I wanted to keep it on a consistent basis and uh, still get uh, these out to you guys um, as regularly as possible. Um, We're still just kind of working out some aches and pains. Uh, Loaf is kind of uh, uh, doing more of a behind-the-scenes thing right now, you know, just producing the show, getting it out, the technical stuff and everything. And uh, we, you know, I'm wishing him all the best right now and uh, hoping that things, you know, kind of come around. And uh, um, sometimes, like I said, I've said this on the last couple episodes, sometimes, uh, especially doing this stuff, uh, it's like Will and Sammy have said a million times before life gets in the way sometimes sometimes it's just rough finding the time to watch you know these movies and like I said you know it's not just two movies a week I mean you know when we're doing the show we're talking about um, you know you, you always want to have something for what have you been watching and uh, there's times where you can get burnt out and you know we watch a lot of movies um and being on different schedules at work-wise, uh, plus just life things, you know, going on. Sometimes you just don't feel like doing this shit. And uh, so I'm going to carry on uh, for now. And uh, like I said, just on a regular basis, try and throw kind of a, I know some of these are kind of hodgepodgey because I tend to babble. And, uh, but... Um, you know, just want to keep it uh, keep it going, keep the uh, silver the S and G machine alive, and uh, we'll just let things play out and see what happens. Uh, uh, we're you know, the silver and gold thing is going to be here no matter what. As far as I'm concerned, it will be. Um, you know, um, I can't see myself uh, doing it without. With with anybody else, because I know some people have said, "Well, you know, what are you going to do? You know, do you think uh, do you think that you will, um, you know, do you want to get somebody else to do the show?" Even and and uh, to be honest with you, even as a guest thing, I don't really want to do that because Loaf is he is the uh, uh, my partner on the show. He's my friend, and we started it together. I'll continue to do you know the bare bones Zom episodes for as long as as uh you know he needs to to get back on track and uh and uh keep the ball rolling i'm sure that we'll be back in the saddle again soon and we'll be cutting up and acting acting silly and you know <laughs> and you know we'll see what happens like i said he's still with us all here and he's uh he's uh, he stepped he's like um uh, in the Ramones, you know, the original drummer, he decided to get off the road and step behind the scenes and, and get more into produ- the production. And uh, Tommy, you know, Jesus Christ, I'm trying to think, you know, I was like, God, I, I, I'm horrible with names today. I'm sorry. But uh, he's kind of stepping behind the scenes and, uh, you know, putting out the show and uh, doing his thing. But uh, we'll get back on track. And I'm sure that one of these days you'll be here in the pickle loaf and the Dr. Zom together again. And uh, we'll we'll continue uh for as long as it's fun, and uh, and I'll continue even when it's not fun anymore. So this is uh, coming from the uh, state of euphoria and confusion today. Um, I bring you goodwill and uh, just all kind of good stuff, charm, humor, love, 
I uh, appreciate all you guys and uh, the, all of you that continue to support the show on the group uh, that still listen. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've heard from some of you, you know, about what's going on and everything. Just bear with us and everything. And uh, uh, we, we're, we thank you all for your uh, well wishes and uh, your concerns and everything. But uh, everything works out in the end. It just does. You don't, you know, that's just life. And uh, we will be back. I swear it. Swear to Jesus Christ. This is Zom. Oot. Ah. Uh.